So as long as this organization is able to bring on topics that are of wider interest in the world, it will become more re re relevant. The case of e-commerce that started like in 1998 or 1997. Yeah. But now the digital economy seems to be quite more important. But it's very important that WTO took the leadership and we are somehow advanced in establishing rules for for such important sector of the economy, particularly because small and medium enterprises are heavy users of this technology. So it will have an important impact if we have the rules for the whole world related to the digital economy. That was Angel Villalobos Rodriguez, ambassador of Mexico to the WTO and former Undersecretary of International Trade Negotiations at the Ministry of Economy in Mexico. I am Rodolfo Rivas, and this is my podcast. Thank you for joining us. In our conversation, Ambassador Villalobos talks about growing up in Aguascalientes and moving to Nuevo León at an early age. He delves into what it is to have a large family and how he got into economics and then teaching. Ambassador Villalobos traces his journey through Northwestern University into the private sector and then jump into the public sector where he has found the calling of public service. Angel tell us, tells us about what he views as his most significant achievement during his time as undersecretary. From there, we pretty much go over his thoughts on some of the latest developments and challenges facing the WTO and the prospects of progress in the near future. It is worth noting that this episode was recorded a few days ago And as of today, there are new developments that may be important to the way forward in the WTO. So bear that in mind. With that short introduction, please enjoy our conversation. Good afternoon, uh, Ambassador Villalobos. Thank you for joining me today uh, on this podcast. How are you? Fine, thank you very much. And thank you very much for uh, giving me this opportunity. Thank you very much, Rodolfo. Uh, can I call you Angel? Yes, please. <laughs> thank you very much. Uh, Ambassador, uh, just to begin with, I guess I would ask you, did you always want to be an ambassador? It was nothing that was in my goal. I, I, I been involved very much into economics, yes. but I never had like I want to be an ambassador. It's <laughs> something that just happened. Okay. I got involved in international trade for, for a long while, and all of a sudden this happened. So I, I saw a bit of your CV. You're an economist, is that right? Yes. And um, you're also from Aguascalientes. Yes. It's a pretty nice city. Yes. It's, uh, And it's a very peculiar city because it's in the inner part of Mexico, yes. very far away from the border, but somehow it became a very international place. Which, ah, really? Yes. When I grew up in Aguascalientes, it was a small place which a very li limited f future in, in terms of the economy. Okay. It had just some agricultural things, t textiles, and some basic manufacturing. but. If you go now to Aguascalientes, you wouldn't recognize. But it was because of international trade and international investment 
that it became like um, a hub for for several multinational companies. So it's, it's a case that you, you can find even some writing on the World Bank as, a, as an example of how international trade can change the, the future of some locations in terms of economics. That, that's pretty interesting. So I actually, was, I've been there once and I, I was there already when it was developed and I remember seeing it and thinking, uh, although it was small uh, in comparison to Guadalajara where I'm from, I saw a lot of industry. Yes. So it's really interesting that you're telling me I, I was not aware of this. But I'm curious, was this something that was happening when you were growing up? No. When I was growing up there, I, I was there until I left Aguascalientes when I was 16 years old. Okay. And, and some of the reasons why we left Aguascalientes, because we went to live in Monterrey. Okay. That's because my parents say, well, we have so many kids, they don't have a future here. Okay. So we moved to Monterrey. Which was uh, like the second largest city. Well, yeah. Mexico and Guadalaj Guadalajara and Monterrey were always arguing who's the second biggest. Yes, but let me tell you that two days ago, INEGI of Statistics Institute just gave the last figures and now metropolitan area of Monterrey is bigger than the one in Guadalajara. Uh, yes. But the, <laughs> you don't have to cry. <laughs> We have that rivalry, but yeah. Yes, not anymore. <laughs> the, the numbers are right there. Okay. <laughs> but yes, let, let me tell you that it was very interesting because I left Aguascalientes and I had that this idea of a small town with no much uh, diversity on economic activity. But now you, you go there and you see Japanese companies, yeah. you see Japanese business people and, and, and s several others. So still small, but very diversified and exports a lot of it's a, it's a big, big Nissan investment there. So, so it's a, an example of how when you open the economy and when you facilitate foreign investment can change the standard of living of, the, of your population and so on. So interesting, by, by all means. And um, your, your family, you, you mentioned that you had a large family. Yes, I am one of 14 kids. Four, 14? 14. Oh my God! I have, I have eight sisters, yes. and we were six brothers. Oh, how how, how so, did your parents manage that? I don't know. The, the question is how we the kids manage it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know so, so, somehow, but we somehow most of us we were able to attend school, and you know we have a very big diversity of professions in my family. But it, it was a challenge. Because at that time, it was normal. You could see many families of six kids or seven kids. Yes. But somehow we were twice as, as large as that. Yeah, I guess it was different times. I, I, I cannot imagine. Like my family was two. I have a brother. And now my family, we have two kids. I cannot <laughs> do more than that. <laughs> well, things have changed. Yes. And I, I guess it's also like a brother uh, issue. But I, uh, when you went to, to Monterrey, is it Monterrey? Yes. Uh, you went there with your whole family and you were a, a teenager. How was that transition from being in a small city to one of the largest cities in, in Mexico? Yeah, it was a, it was a big change, but I have all, all, older brothers, so it was easy to follow them on, on, on how to do it and so on. So. 
So it was it was not so, so complex. And and I, I when I got there, I got there because I was going to start high school. Yeah. So I, I went to Tech of Monterey. Ah, yeah. Okay. So it was a very intense school, and so so I, I didn't have any adaptation problems going from a small city to to Monterey, which was is quite bigger than Aguascalientes. And was there was your time uh, in Tech de Monterey when you first uh, got interested in economics, or when when would you say that was? No, actually, I I had the opportunity to do one high school year in the United States. Ah, okay. In, an exchange uh, program. As an exchange, yes. And I, I attended one year of high school, and I I took some economics and government classes, so I. I was really attracted by that, so it was uh, it was almost by luck that I, I took such classes, which in Mexico, in high school, I could never have taken them. So that opened my appetite for economics and so on. And since then, I became some sort of a almost economics oh, okay. <laughs> because, uh, because I did f f finish my I got my college degree in Montreal, and then I. I did some teaching at the same tech of Montreal for two years, and then I went to to pursue my my graduate studies in the United States. That it was fully in economics. I attended the Northwestern University, okay, and but it's fully economics. It was specialized on on international trade, public finance, and somehow on, on economic development. Um. So your experience in Mexico, you were te you after you graduated as a economist, you were teaching there. But you also had some working experience, or was mainly teaching. No, I was I I stayed uh, as a full time teacher there. Okay, perfect. So and after the f two full years as a teacher, I I went to the United States to to, to pursue my. I, actually, I also studied in in Tec de Monterrey in Guadalajara, and I think that the program there in Tec de Monterrey is a system that it's pretty. It's, it has many similarities with the U.S. Uh, education system. I think initially it was supposed to be based uh, on MIT. I think, or yes, something. I, the, I don't know. Yes, the founder of, yes. of Tec de Monterrey did study at MIT, and then when he came back to Monterrey, they started a program you know, that they try to replicate to replicate yeah ah, yeah that's that's pretty interesting and uh, how was your experience in North, at Northwestern uh, well Northwestern is a very fine school but yeah, yeah. And very, very competitive and there was already some Chinese students some from Israel so it's a place that attracts very high talented students by all means and and it's and the program in economics was a, a good one, a tough one, but they have a very good expert in some fields like international trade or also in, in, in industrial economics. So I, I was I had the privilege to 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 attend that, you know, thanks to a scholarship by Conasid. And um, after that experience, you you came back to Mexico. I came back to Mexico and I I went to Mexico City and I had some opportunities there to, 
No, but then I... So you, you, you didn't want to teach again? No, not full time? No, not as a full time teacher, no. But then somehow I, I didn't like Mexico City. Oh. And I say, I, I say to myself, well, I, I don't want to spend my time in such a big city. And so I got a good job in Monterey at the private sector, in some private corporation. So somehow I say, I'm going to do my professional life in the private sector. I worked for several years in large corporations in the planning and economics departments. And then after nine years working for the corporations with some friends, I, I established a consulting firm. Okay. So, but I was fully with the idea of being always in the private sector. So for four years, I had this consulting company. So we were selling some planning and economic tools to, to companies. But From the, based in Monterrey? Based in Monterrey, yes. But somehow, I, at that time, I also I wrote uh, some, uh, some articles for a, a, a business section of a, a um, newspaper. Yes. And one of my ex-teachers, he was on a plane, and then he, he, he read <laughs> my article and he contacted me. And then somehow he was involved in the, with the team of what later became the president of Mexico. Okay. At that time, Mr. Fox. Okay. So, so, so somehow... You were we, pulled in. To we, when the, the transition team was established, he invited me. So I, I had to go to Mexico and then he, he became the minister of the economy, and he invited, invited me to be part of his team. So my idea of being a, of working always at the private sector sort of ended because then I was now working for the federal government. The, the minister of economy? Uh, yes, what's the, the, the minister of economy. Okay. Um, because, I, I mean, if I remember correctly, uh, when President Fox came, he had like a vision of like the private sector, like bringing a bit of the private sector to the government. Was that uh, something that happened or? There was, so, so, yes, there was such idea, but yes, there were some improvements on how the government was working. But I got there just by accident because my ex-professor invited me to be yeah, part, yeah. part of his team. So, so that was not your plan, it's just like how it happened? No, no. I, I was very keen of that professor. And then I, I stayed, at the government for many years, mainly in the Minister of Economy. How do you compare the experience in the, having worked like for the most part, well, at the beginning uh, as an academic, then in the private sector, and then in the public sector? It's very different, all of them, I would say. And, and I enjoyed all of them, but I must say that if you got the opportunity to work at the government, at a good level, you feel that you have the opportunity to somehow um, have a saying on some decisions that can make a difference for many people and for your country. And then you feel like if you invest in, if you invested in, in studying and understanding cer cer certain things, that you can somehow help. 
So I, when I work at the, the, the private sector, you could, but you will be working for something more na narrow somehow. Yeah. It's not that it's not good, but it's different. So, so for me, it was an important change, and it's been very interesting, interesting in that sense. So you do feel the the calling as a as a public functionary like, and making a difference. I, I guess it's a very good opportunity, and ma ma many times it's going to sound odd, but ma many times your main contribution is not to make the big things in our lab, the, the big project. Sometimes if you just avoid that someone does the bad things, yeah. you know, that, that, that contribution can, can be very important, just to, to co contain some bad policies that some people is trying to push, maybe with good intentions, but without understanding the, the, or the consequences. If you can stop some things, it's an important co contribution. Uh, that's pretty interesting. Do you have any example that you may think of? Or, or yes, no, not specifically, but I, I we will say may, we will get many calls from some s s sectors who wanted to have some some protection. Yeah. You know, like some sector will say, well, I I I'm being invaded by such and such. And it will be easy just to take that decision, but we we have very clear that that will impact many other sectors. I see. And, uh, so in the net, we will, we will be protecting the sector, but we will Doing be affecting damage. Right, yeah. more damage than so. And the, the pressures on that are very often. So you have to be very clear on on what you really want to achieve. And as that are many issues, many other issues and policies that if you don't have the whole picture, you can do more damage than good for, for, for your economy and for many people. I see. And what about the academic? Because I think that the, the main thing about the academic is how you can influence some yes. young uh, minds that are just starting yeah. to see how things work. Yes, actually, when I was working at the private sector, and, and for some time, when I didn't travel so much, when I was at the, at the public sector, I kept teaching. But then I had to do so much t going overseas and so on that I, I just couldn't keep. Yeah. I enjoyed that very much. I, I never enjoyed having to check homeworks and <laughs> the exams and so yeah. on, but I liked the exchange with the, the students and yeah. discussion. And, 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 but I never had a chance to, to teach with a new new technology. When I, I left teaching, it was before the iPads and you know, this WhatsApps and so on. So it's been a big change for, I wish I had gone to school with this technology and not the one that I had to walk all the way to the library and take the copies and read. Now, <laughs> now it's wonderful. I can Yeah, you, know, can, you have can access get, to everything. I can get any information anytime, which is yes. now if I have to give it, a presentation, I can get the information quickly. Otherwise, you will spend a lot of time. So, but it's something that the new generation do not fully appreciate. Yeah, they aren't aware what uh, the they, struggles that other generations had to go through. All the time that you had to invest just to get the data together. But yeah. now it's so quickly, it's amazing by all means. Yeah, 
It's true. Um, going back to your experience at the government, um, what uh, what do you think was some of the important projects that you worked on while work while being wow. in the government? Well, I would say that one of the most important is that somehow I was in charge of the coordination of the negotiation of the the EPA, Economic Partnership Agreement with Japan. Yes. That was a very important one. It was the, for Mexico, is the, was the first with any Asian countries. Um, for Japan, they had a small agreement with Singapore, but it was small in many senses. So for them, it was the first time they would ne negotiate any trade agreement with, with anyone. So I had the, the opportunity to, to, to be part of leading that negotiation so so and i guess my my satisfaction is that then we will see more investment in mexico from japan more trade so it's gratifying to see that something of which you were part of had some good effects like in mexico and also in japan And also like this is what we were talking at the beginning, like it came for full circle in Aguascalientes, like Aguascalientes was a, one of the cities that benefited greatly from, sure, from this. Because they expanded the, their investments there. So once we gave them more certainty to Japan, and we opened more economy, they invested quite more and more companies came to Mexico. Now we have over a thousand Japanese companies in Mexico, we have the major producer of automobiles, we have Mazda, we have Honda, we have almost all of them. And also in, in other sectors. Before you will see like, there will be in few places in Mexico and in, in few sectors. Yeah. Now if you check the data, you could see that the Japanese companies, they are in many sectors and in many places in Mexico. So it's been, it was a, a very good experience to, to, to be part of, of this negotiation. And that was a bilateral negotiation. How do you compare that now that you are in the multilateral arena? Let me tell you that, like, like this is my second time seeing multilateral arena, but now I'm more fully on multilateral arena. And the difference is that the pace at which things happen, as you, as you. No, we're very well here. We are 164 members. There are some economists that are alike, some others, but many, we many come from very different economies, some political systems not exactly the same. So the diversity here is, gives complexity to the whole process. Yeah. But at the same time, I must say that if you know the place and you know the players and so on, you will appreciate that it works somehow. Maybe it's underperforming and so on. But what the WTO is now is now is a public good that somehow it works because it gives order to to international trade. Maybe it's not opening new negotiation and s s sectors as, as we wish. But we, we can see that in the recent pandemic, economic crisis and so on, yes, some complexities came, but in general, 
it works. You, you, you will see some order. Yeah. And the same happened in the financial crisis in 2009. So there is an order given by this organization. We have some very important committees where you can express your just your concern and so on. So this is a a place that generates a a public good. So it's very important to take a good care of of the system. I know there are many things that that must be changed, but we have we must also take into account what what is valuable of this organization. So I really appreciate it, and more if you see like. Now we have more complex membership. Before we didn't have China, Vietnam, and Russia, and so on. So it's understandable that we have a more complex way to, to get to agreements. But now in place we have 22 agreements in place. That is what gives orders to, to the world. We have to be very c c careful in not to tamper with them. And at the, the pace, and we have to understand that there are some geopolitical aspects that we cannot abstract from, from that. WHO is part of that system. So we have to to be patient and to work on the needed, le needed le leadership. Yes. Because there seems to be a vacuum, but eventually we have to gather the strength and the, the brains in order to, to move this organization forward. So. It's a big difference between being in a bilateral negotiation and in a multilateral negotiation. Yes, and uh, specifically now what you're mentioning about, uh, I actually, I remember when I first started dealing with these topics like 10 years ago, there didn't seem to be like a lot of attention from the wider, like the public on trade. Now everyone, even people who maybe just read the newspaper are talking about trade. So now like we're dealing in topics that are of the interest of everyone. How has that changed? Is that your perception as well? Yes, but I must say that well, this organization is re relevant because I say it somehow gives order to trade, but it could be reaffirm its relevance if it's able to make new rules and to to solve the, the disputes and be more transparent, but also as long as it brings into the WTO some issues that are of utmost importance to, to, to societies. So now you will see that there is a lot of sounds about um, sustainability yes. to, to environment and so on. So it's a topic that it's been always here, but also when you see the Marrakech Agreement, it's at the beginning it says about sustainability and, and environmental protection and so on. It's always been there, but now it seems to be getting, getting more, get, get more the appetite is bigger yeah. now. So as long as this organization is able to bring on topics that are of wider interest in the world, is will become more re re relevant. The case of e-commerce that started like in 1998 or 1997. Yes. But now the digital economy seems to be quite more important. But it's very important that WTO took the leadership and we are 
some kind of advance in establishing rules for, for such important sector of the economy, particularly because small and medium enterprises are heavy users of this te technology. So it will have an important impact if we have the rules for the whole world related to the digital economy. It's true. And um, you're talking about sustainability. I think that right now, one of the one of the most important and uh, I would say the test case of, about what, how the WTO is going to deal with these topics from now on to the future, I guess it would be the fisheries agreement, oh, yes. the subsidies on fisheries. How do you see that negotiation well, and what are your expectations? This is also a negotiation that is getting old. It's, it's been like old, yes. 19 years old of negotiation. And it's not like, it's not a typical negotiation that you give like like a, a give and take. It's just agreeing on how what is going to be the contribution of everyone to avoid giving harmful subsidies and to avoid the, the depletion of the seas. So it's been complex and but I guess now we are this is an overdue issue and my impression is that if we get the needed political will that's been lacking so far, but now I guess things may, may change soon. And my idea is that I expect that even before the MC12, uh, that negotiation sh should be over. But I know th there are still very... There are still many topics. Many topics, yes. Some pending to topics hard, yes. yes. But somehow, in no, in no, no, not for, not for long, that will have to go to the political level. Yes. So I guess in f in few months or weeks, that the technical discussion will be over. Yes. So it's going to be very important that some key members decide to invest in this organization, and besides, this is a ma mandate that is beyond the WTO. Yes. It's one of the development goals and so on. And when you see what we are trying to achieve, it's, it's very simple. At this pace, somehow we are going to run of some species and it's going to have a very important impact in many communities, the ones who, who live uh, along the seas and so on. So it's very clear the impact, negative impact if we don't come to an end in this important negotiation. And how do you see this um, when we conclude it? Because I'm also confident that we will soon. <laughs> <laughs> how do you see this impacting the, the broader agenda in the WTO? If we conclude it successfully, as I expect, this will send a strong signal that we can agree on something big, because this is maybe the only multilateral negotiation now on the table. Yeah. So if we are able to agree on something as important as that, this will open the door to, to a more positive mood of what can happen to the organization. Also, I must say, it will be important to get a DG. Yes. Because it's kind of awkward that this organization <laughs> is not able to agree on having a DG after a long process. Of, now it's been almost 
almost six months in which this organization is headless, which is kind of um, is, is uncommon, I would yeah. say. So if we get a DDG and we get soon the the fisheries negotiation, maybe we can get some momentum somehow. But also, I must say, we have a change of administration in the United States, and the idea is that they will have a more positive look at the multilateral issues, and this also might, might help. Um, now that you touched on the DG, I'm curious, I mean, I, I guess we, we still have to wait, but how do you see this developing, and do you think that some, when we appoint a new DG, the member, the membership, with perhaps new ideas and new impetus to push, how do you see that uh, as a positive movement going forward? Well, uh, yes, I, I see that if we get a DG eventually, just get, getting over this impasse is, is going to be a good signal. Yes. But it will be very important in Because there are some discussion of what is the role of the DG in the other two. Yeah, that's also true. <laughs> some say, well, it's, it's a cheerleader, or it's just an usher, or it's kind of... And, and I have talked to some members, and some of the members say, well, it would be very important to, to try to give it more, more an important role to the DG. So if we, if we get the DG, and we all agree that that DG is important to have more more elements to have a a more productive le leadership, then it will be very good for the organization. But somehow many members are seeing the, the same issue. Like we, we need to have a a more proactive secretariat and more proactive. DG somehow, and I guess that uh, that also depends. Well, that depends. It's a member-driven organization, so it's up to the membership. But I guess it also depends on the on the eventual DG and the personality of the DG and the way that they look at their role and how they approach it. Yeah. That's why it will be important to have a discussion because if we are going to depend always on the personality of that DG then it's not going to be an institutional change. Mm. So we need to think it's hard, but because the discussion is also, well, what can be changed in the, this member-driven organization in terms of the governance that allows to have a more dynamic institutional setting? And not depending on if I, I got a DG, which is very dynamic and active, and, but it would be more important to have an institution that leads to that and not depend only on the personality of, of who gets hired as a, as a DG. But that issue about how to change the co governance of the WTO is also an important issue. It might take long, but this member-driven organization and one country can veto any issue. So, It's a drag somehow, so it's going to take some time, but this organization has to, to find better ways to make things happen, mainly because now we, we have a very more complex membership. Yes. 
So as long as we make the institutional changes that will take care of that and avoid to get stalled in every issue, may make a difference somehow. And I think that this is important because um, this is a multilateral organization. But lately, and this we have seen across in many other countries, there has been like a, an opposite reaction. Like instead of looking outwards, more looking inwards. How does how does that? How would a multilateral organization fit within this new reality? Yes. Well, this is a. You, you came across a very important point. Given many issues, we have seen that is in some economies, they are seeing somehow an inward-looking view of, of, of their economy. And something that has been proven before, and the results of that were not better than when the economies are, are fully open. So there is some sort of economic nationalism in yeah. some regions of the world. And, and the, the economic results of that, according to economic history, are always underperformed than when I, I keep the markets open. Yeah. So, and, Given the economic effects of the pandemics, we, it's very important not to come to the wrong conclusions. Because they say, well, I'm going to take care only of my domestic market and so on. And, and you, you, you can hear all the sound bites saying that my economy first and so on. So it's, it's very important to contain that. And that's why it's important for that key members in the WTO to, to invest political capital in the multilateral system. Because otherwise we will, we will, especially the ones who will pay a bigger cost are the medium, small, the poorest economies, because we will keep them out of the system. So the multilateral trading system has the important role of bringing on all the economies with less capacities or less diversified and so on. So it will be kind of not against development for many economies if we follow the approach of inward looking in many ways. Like, and it's interesting because when they, when they question that or at all. Well, somehow, if, if it's so bad, the multilateral why do we have a long list of economies that they want to join in? Yeah. You have over 20 economies waiting to access that multilateral. So, so somehow, this system allows them to get some structure in their economy, to, to have access to other markets, and so on. So my impression is that we need more of the multilateral system and to seek an inward-looking economic approach. But I must say that given this, in the last few years, we have a very, a very anti 
globalization environment, at least on, on the media and so on. And this is what I was referring because this was already before and it seemed to be exacerbated by mm -hmm. the current pandemic. Sure, yes. Uh, and right now we're living with the consequences of, of this, something that was already the trend yes. and it has been accelerated. Yes, but I, I must say that at the same time that there was some bashing about the globalization and so then we saw many many negotiations for for economic integration like like the, um, I would say that the TP the 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 one with yes, the RCEP RCEP and then the CPTPP and so we see many re regional bilateral so there was a push by many governments to integrate in a region and so on. So they were investing political capital on that. Yes. So now we need that if they were so aggressive on pushing such agreements, well, they can bring some of that political capital to the multilateral system, which it, it will be very important and it will benefit many economies that seems to be at the margin. And, and actually, it's interesting that you mentioned this because now uh, I am curious about your thoughts. You're talking about this uh, from outside of the WTO, but how would you see this inside the WTO with the proliferation of plurilateral agreements? Do you see this as something complementary of the multilateral system or something that perhaps opposes it and creates different, different rules? My impression is that we do what we can do. And any effort that gets some more integration of the economies, maybe we cannot get with 160 economies now. But if we, if we wait for the 164 to get on board, we might never get anything. Yeah. So if now the situation, the political condition of some economies do not allow them to join in, Eventually, they will have the time. So my impression is that these plurilateral negotiations, they, they is a, a bonus for the international integration at the end. So it's, it's not a, a minus, I would say. It's, it's somehow an improvement, like especially the e-commerce. I say, well, we're setting the rules. Like I would say, Mexico, we have an agreement with, in which we have included e-commerce, uh, so we have with uh, North America and with uh, CPTPP and so on, but we don't have it with many other economies. So if we have it in a plurilateral, we will allow our companies, small and medium enterprises, to do business through e-commerce with China and so many other economies. So somehow it's giving more space to economic integration when I work with plurilateral. I don't see it as something that is undermining the, the system. Somehow, given the condition, the general condition, is contributing to having more business opportunities that somehow low, lowers the barriers to trade and somehow establishes disciplines that gives certainty to business people. I completely agree with you. I think that you explained it pretty, pretty well. Uh, because having an agreement with all the members of the WTO is, is practically a miracle. Exactly. A miracle that happens only once every 
<laughs> but like in e-commerce, we have now 86 members, but we have above 90% of the trade in e-commerce. So basically we, we have covered most of, of, of trade. So he said, say, I'm not going to do anything until I have 100%. We already have 86 economies willing to follow the, the rules that we are about to agree with. Yes. Um, I'm also curious, I mean, we're talking a bit about the multilateral arena. I'm, I'm curious about your thoughts Uh, regarding Mexico and the weight that Mexico has in the international arena. Because I think that Mexico has been a strong proponent of the multilateral system. Uh, I think that they are, Mexico has been a positive cheerleader and even active participant in many of these initiatives. How do you see that role of Mexico in the broader sense? Let me tell you that, yes, Mexico is very active in the multilateral trading system. But it's not because we are very, very, very good people. It's in our, <laughs> it's, it's in our interest. Yes. And le, le, let me tell you what. Mexico, the main the trading partners of Mexico are the United States, China, and Europe. I mean the big players. And Mexico is covered already with agreements. Yes, but in terms of, of dispute solutions, we always need to have the last instance. Yeah. See, so for Mexico, which is a medium-sized economy, it's important to, to have a strong uh, rules rule system. Otherwise, it's going to be a negotiation with big guys. See, like, let, let, let me agree in kind of the diplomatic and national state with China. For us, it's important to to be in the international markets, but in, in a rules-based system, by all means, given our size. So it is more fair, it gives more certainty to business people. So I say it's important for us, it's not because we are good people, it's because we understand that, that for, in terms of having international trade to, to give the public good or certainty, That will, that will bring more investment to Mexico, we will have our exporters to have more opportunities in many places of the world. And I will say that for most of the economies. As, as you very well know, we have few big players here, Japan, the United States, uh, China, and so on. But after that, then you, you see the, the, the percentage of trades of the remaining ones is, is, is quite small. Mexico has about 2.5% of, of export, 2.5% uh, of imports. And we, we are kind of big, because then most of them, the remaining economies, they have a small percentage. So to all of us, mainly, it's important to have a system based on rules. And this is something important that uh, Mexico has been leading part of the effort to call, calling along with other members, but Mexico as, a, as the coordinator, I would say, of the launching of the selection process of the applet body. How important do you see this for the future of the organization? Uh, the, one of the, I think one of the key elements of the WTO when it was created was 
the dispute settlement and that it was a dispute settlement that was working and that it could adjudicate uh, disputes as it didn't happen uh, before. But now that's not the case. So how, how, how do you see this? Well, Mexico considers that that important pillar, which is the dispute so, so solutions, is key in this organization. How we'll end up, I don't know. It's possible that we might not have exactly what we had. Mm. Because when one raised, you know, the, how, how that ag agreement started and so on, we see that since the beginning, there seems to be a misunderstanding yes. of what one big economy believed, that, that the Americans believed that they have, have some policy space, and then the others did not. And so, because the problem didn't come in the last four years, since the very beginning, there was like, he was born with a, with a problem. Yeah. And I, I was talking to some of the guys who was involved when the, the United States agreed on, on, on the big package. And he said that in, Cong in the American Congress, when they did vote about accepting or not the, this part of the package, about the, the dispute, the dispute settlement system, he said, well, my, it's clear that 30% of the Congress people, they believe that the world was taking the rules of the United States. 30% thought the opposite. Yeah. And the rest didn't know what they were voting for. <laughs> so it was since the very beginning some confusion. So it was born with a problem. So it will take a lot of leadership and listening a lot to, it's not going to, because there is some, some naiveness in some people believe that, well, the new administration will come and will appoint the, 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 the members and so on. It's quite more complex than that. And it's going to take, and we might end up with a different scheme of how to solve disputes, not exactly what we had before, because what we had before was born with an original sin, according to one of the, yeah. one of the big players. One of the most important, yes. Yeah, it's interesting. And this issue, the problem with these issues is that this, this brings a lot of passion. If you talk to some of the ex-members of the appellate body, no, they will wow, they will die because they, they said that they are right and so on. If you talk to the Americans, so there is no cool heads on the discussions, but we will need cool head in order to get a system that allows a civilized way to, to any difference between the, the countries. And I will say that it's important that, that it's an important issue but it's not the most important issues. The important issue is that this is a forum for international trade. The solution of dispute is one of the schemes that helps that, but we cannot put it as the biggest thing. So we have to think about it. So we need a, a less expensive system, 
more expedite system and more acceptable for all of us. Yeah. Otherwise, if accepted by some of them and not, and, and not for the others, it's not going to help. But I, I, let me add that the appeal about this is important, but I must say that in this international f forum, like 50% of the disputes, the difference are solved in just in, in consultations. Yes. So it's, I would say it's, a, it's not a small, but, but the, the system solves a lot of issues before they get to the last instance. It's something that is it's never on the radar. Yeah, but, but I guess a bit of that would also have to do with the potentiality of going to a dispute. If that potentiality is not there, maybe there will, yeah, not, be, there will not be interest to solve it at the consultation. Would that be? Yeah, it's a possibility. Well, well you are a lawyer, you understand. <laughs> but this actually is pretty interesting, and I am really glad that you brought it up, because I'm a lawyer. And actually, I worked at the appellate body, and when this first started, I was like up in arms, like, oh my God, how can this be? Like, I cannot accept it. But I think that was a very myopic way of looking at it. And I think that that's still pervasive across the membership. We're looking at it from the perspective of a lawyer, looking at it through a little hole of the whole system. Yeah. And the system is bigger than that. Quite bigger than that, I would say. And I think that until we understand that, but that's everyone, not, not me, you, or whoever, everyone understands that and we get together and it's like, okay, we need to find a solution. This is, not, this is not the most important thing. It's one of the most important elements, but it's not the only one. Yes, yes. Yes, we have to get the priorities straight and to understand that, that the goal of this organization is to promote trade and where litigation is a part of that, yeah. but it's not the part yeah. of this. And somehow it became... It got lost, yeah. Yes, it's a, it became a bias somehow. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, I, I appreciate the discussion. Thank you very much. I think we did like a very comprehensive overview. <laughs> Uh, I was just curious, like uh, before we conclude, if you have like some uh, outlooks. Are you post? Are you? Uh, is your view still? Uh, are you positive that we'll have uh, some progress in the next few months? How do you see the next few months? Well, some of how the coming months move depends on of how fast we get one of the players with all their act together, they have the representatives and so on. And once they get there, to, to see how they play it here. Because in the last four years was kind of complicated. And, but I, I would say that I am casually optimistic, but I, what I underline, casually. Yeah because it depends on many issues. Because also the pandemic is it's having the energy of many economies in, in other issues. International trade, multilateral trade is not on top of the, uh, yeah. of the public servants now. They, they are really attending to domestic issues, health issues, and so on. So it might take some time, but maybe in the second semester we will get more, more momentum. But it's not going to be like a switch, like now, ah, now we are going to multilateral topics and so on. No, now 
we are going through a very complex situation in the world in many economies. So for a while we will be hearing about, about the vaccines and health and the recovery is coming slow and eventually we will see more focus on mortality system. And, and now I can imagine in any Minister of Trade in economy that they, they do attend trade but they attend many domestic issues. So their time and energy and is, is now placed in something else. Is my impression. Mm, well, yeah, I I want to thank you for this no, excellent di discussion. Uh, thank you very much, Ambassador. No, th thank you very much, Rodolfo, and, and I want to commend you on your initiative on of having this type of interviews. Thank you very much. Thank you. I really enjoyed our conversation, and we covered a lot of ground. I hope you enjoyed it as well. If you did enjoy it, please subscribe to the podcast or recommend it or recommend us to a friend. It really helps. We have great plans for this season, so please stick around. <laughs>